0: Two Sundays ago, we started this series, Great Conversations with Jesus. And today's title, don't let it bother you. When I, I give it to you, it'll make more sense as we go. But two Sundays ago was the greatest prayer Jesus ever prayed. And it was the prayer in Gethsemane. Last week was this conversation he had with Pontius Pilate on power and politics. And today, it's Dead Man Walking. How's that? It'll make a little more sense as we go. Dead men walking. Dead men walking is a term given to someone on death row that, you know, it's a lot different than life imprisonment without parole, that, which that sounds ominous too, doesn't it? But uh, I remember way back we were living in Lake City, Florida, when uh, one Robert, uh, Theodore Robert Bundy, was arrested for the killing of sorority sisters at Florida State University. You remember that? Well, in our little town of Lake City where we were at, a young girl in junior high, Kimberly Leach, disappeared. And there was a massive search for her because she disappeared off the junior high playground. The the recreational aspect of that day's activities, she just disappeared in the thin air. Little did we know that... Bundy was in our city and had somehow coaxed her off of that and had murdered her and hid her in an abandoned hog pen underneath some tin. Well, I want to tell you, there was very few people in Florida protesting his execution in Stark, Florida. And in fact, Lake City was practically celebrating. That sounds a little morbid. But when people have those kind of crimes that kind of like even people who are against capital punishment says, you know what, that's, that's pretty bad right there. Well, that's what these men that we're going to talk about were convicted of. Jesus finds himself right in the middle of that group. But let me take you to those three men on death row, dead men walking, Jerusalem, in the Antonio Fortress right there next to the temple where three men that woke up that morning knowing today I'm going to die. Not only today am I going to die, but I am going to die the most horrible, imaginable death that could be put upon anyone, crucifixion. And as those three men were given the order to get ready to leave, a courier came from the governor's office, Pontius Pilate, saying the governor wants Barabbas. And so Barabbas is escorted out of that group into the palace courtyard to find a mob of people. He probably was thinking, what is going on here? A mob of people demanding the death of one Jesus of Nazareth. It had to kind of like be a little bit disconcerting to him. He's like, okay, what is my role in all of this? Little did he know, that Pontius Pilate, in order to try to avoid condemning an innocent man to death, as as cruel and brutal as the governor could be, he did everything he could do, which is the way he could have pardoned, but he was trying to avoid that. More than once he told them, I don't find any fault in this man. I, I don't find anything, especially anything worthy of committing him to crucifixion. And yet they were demanding, and so he brings out this custom at these festival days. And, and as a of just a good pleasure and well-being, he would give release of a criminal to the people as a celebration of a festival. So he says, let's get Barabbas. Nobody wants Barabbas to be re-released into the community. He's a murderer. He's guilty of insurrection. He's one of the most horrible people that they have incarcerated. And so as he puts Barabbas there in front of the courtyard... And he has a public election between Jesus and Barabbas. You know who won, right? Barabbas walks out of the courtyard not just reprieved, but pardoned. Completely a free man. And Jesus gets inserted into that group of three. Jesus loses a public relation to a death row inmate of all things. An inmate scheduled to be executed that day by crucifixion, and one of them, Barabbas, got released and pardoned. Instead of Barabbas in dead men walking, it's now Jesus as part of dead men walking. And Jesus takes the beam, and we don't really think about this scene that you're about to see in this image. But Jesus takes the beam of his cross over his shoulder. And he joins the other two criminals on the procession, the parade which was supposed to continue to humiliate them through Jerusalem to the place outside the city where they're going to be crucified. Now, I haven't read any of the scriptures. We're going to just reference Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. You might just want to check out Matthew with me and Mark with me, but we're really going to focus on Luke 23. So if you want to turn there. Let's review this, and we've done this in the other two messages on Great Conversations. All four of the Gospels mentions these two men that was crucified on both sides of Jesus. He was in the middle, one was on his left, one was on his right. And so here are these men parading with their crosses through the streets. Now you see that the the two thieves are carrying just their cross beams which really was the usual custom. They, they already had the main stake in place, but they would have to carry that huge cross beam. You see Jesus in the background carrying his cross behind these two men. Again, it's kind of hard to improve upon passion of the Christ, isn't it? Listen to what Matthew, this is Matthew chapter 27 and verse 38. Matthew says, two rebels were crucified with him. And in verse 44 it says, In the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on Jesus. I want you to remember that. Both of these men were hearing the crowd mock Jesus and challenge him to come down off the cross if he is Messiah, if he is the Christ, prove it to us. And as these two criminals dying for what they had done heard that they joined in they joined in in hurling insults if you go to mark chapter 15 this is where the crucifixion is recorded in mark's gospel mark is almost identical he almost mirrors completely what matthew wrote in chapter 15 of mark verse 27 it says this they crucified two rebels with him And in verse 32, five verses later, those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And that's all that Mark says. That's all that Matthew says. There's nothing else about these two men that are mentioned. If you go to Luke chapter 23, this is where we get into the discussion that's in front of us today. Barabbas is in prison waiting for execution. This is in verse 25, and it reads like this. Barabbas was in prison waiting for execution for insurrection and murder. Now, that's a little bit more than a thief. And really, thief is just kind of a... It really is not what these men were guilty of. These men were guilty of high crimes. They were probably all had committed murder. They, they were being executed for the high crimes of their life. In verse 32, it says again, two other men, watch this, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. Let out with Jesus. Now, we don't think about this when we see Jesus in certain films going through the streets of Jerusalem, carrying his cross, that there was two other men with him. But all three of them were going through the city on their way to death. In verse 39, we find that there's something that happens here. We read in Matthew and Mark that both of these men are joining in attacking Jesus. Now, listen, all the things you read In all four Gospels, he never, the Lord never answers any of it. Never responds to anything that is said against him. Not even directly to someone who says something directly. He never responds. And we know that he didn't because Peter would write later that he did not return insult for insult, but as a lamb that is silent before its execution, for its killing, so he opened not his mouth. He did not answer all the things that was being said to him and against him. He didn't respond to any of it. Now, I don't know if all that Jesus said on the cross is recorded. He might have said more. We just know that seven different statements were recorded. But here is one of these criminals. Something's happened. What is different with this man? Earlier, we're told he is also attacking Jesus. What happened to him? Well, we don't know, but let me just kind of put this idea in front of you. He heard, now this is recorded prior to this one thief that is identified as what he said against Jesus. Both of them heard Jesus say something. What did they hear him say, if you're there? Father, forgive them. Now, here's the one who's suffering their, the same death they're suffering, and even more so because he's been flogged before they crucify him. He is not even recognizable. He's drenched with blood. They're going to be crucified, and if it wasn't for a Sabbath to save them, they would have hung out there until they died, whether it took three days, five days, seven days, however how long it took for them. They were facing a long death. But they were looking at Jesus looked like he was at the point of dying at any moment from what he looked like. What happened from one thief changing what he was saying? It could be that he heard Jesus say, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." And here's this thief in 39 verse 39 of Luke 23, "One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah?" Save yourself and us. And in verse 40, the response, Jesus didn't answer that. But the other thief answered his fellow prisoner. He said, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? And we watch verse 41. These men are now dead men hanging. They're not dead men walking. They're dead men hanging on crosses. And in verse 41... This one criminal says, we are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Undoubtedly, his estimation of Jesus begins to change. Something is happening here. One man that is being crucified has reconciled within his own heart what he's done, his crimes. And he confesses his guilt. He's telling his friend, We're getting what we deserve. Now, if you ever have done prison ministry or jail ministry, that just doesn't happen. Because I've been in metro jail ministry right here. Everybody is innocent. You go in on Tuesday night, you go in, you can pray, and they all want to to give you either their lawyer's phone number, and I haven't heard from my lawyer. They want you to be their courier. I'm in here, I've been framed. Nobody is guilty of anything. There's a few in prison that says, "Yes, I did it." But this was a remarkable change that instead of them wanting reprieve that Jesus just do some kind of miracle, can you just do some kind of miracle to get us off these crosses? Here's a man that says, "We're getting what we deserve. He takes ownership of his deeds. Isn't that what sinners do before they get saved? They start owning up to the self-oriented life they've lived. They've lived only for themselves. All of a sudden they realize that they're in rebellion against God and they're under the judgment of God. The thief says, don't you fear God? Don't you realize there's a just God and we're getting what we should get? And through this, he stops his railing against Jesus and he begins to defend Jesus. We read nothing that Jesus said anything to the other man. He may have, but we don't see it in Scripture. But we're looking at a miracle taking place because a man is coming to salvation as he's dying. These are now dead men dying. They're within maybe minutes or hours of dying. But this man, we just read his words in Luke twenty-three forty-one. And this is what he says in verse 42. I read uh, 40 and 41, but listen to what he says in 42. He turns to Jesus and he says this. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, let me ask you something. What's going on there? How is a God dying this horrible death Look at that statement just doesn't fit there, does it? Jesus. Uh, I, I, I was going over my notes last night. I got so excited, I ran into the living room, and I, I ran up to her and said, Jesus. <laughs> and she looked at me like, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I said, isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I said, he answers two things there. But that doesn't fit. He believes what's happening is that he believes. He just doesn't believe he's going to die. He knows he's going to die, but he knows something's different. He's not talking about dying anymore. He's talking about something beyond that moment. And listen to the things that he said. Jesus, remember me when, not if. When you come into your kingdom, this guy's believing. He's coming to faith. He's looking at the most mutilated human being possible to still be breathing. And he's saying to that, that physical trauma that he's looking at, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And listen to what Jesus said. Oh, I love this. Verily or truly, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's equally impressive. Two things happened there. What Jesus said to him answered both dynamics of this man's faith. He said, Remember me, and Jesus said, I got you today you're going with me and then he said when and he answered when by well you know what next Sunday just hang on (laughs) in three days something really good is going to happen but you got to wait till Sunday Or maybe tomorrow, on the Sabbath day, or maybe it's gonna be next week. And at some point in the distant future, at some point, somewhere, sometime, you and I will meet again. That's not what he said, was it? He looked at this man and he said, Today, you're going with me to paradise. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word paradise, I kind of think of something positive. And it's not even translated. It's paradiso, it's, it's given just in the English sound, but it's this, this place where there's something good is waiting. Not death, but what a conversion. John records none of this. John records more conversation on the cross than any other writer because I guess because he was standing there and he was listening to everything Jesus said. He heard him talk to the thieves or the, the, to the believing thief, but he doesn't record anything. But think about this. This dying criminal knowing that he is getting what he deserves reaches out to Jesus and expresses faith. This is not a conversation that you would have with someone at Starbucks. This is not a break room conversation where two people on their 10-15 minute break are engaged in a discussion about eternal life. These were men dying and could be minutes away from death And they're talking about what's beyond? Jesus answered him, truly. What about that first word? You know what that word is? Anybody know what that word is in the original? It's one of Jesus' favorite words. How many times have you heard Jesus start something, verily, verily, I say unto you, huh? Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you. We use this word every time we pray, most of the time. When we pray, we usually end the, end the prayer with what? Amen. That's the word. This guy, Can you just imagine the people listening to this? He looks at me, Jesus, if, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Amen. That's what he said to him. Amen. You see, the word has this connotation to it. Let be what has just been said. But when it's put on the front end of something, it says, what I'm about to tell you is absolutely the truth. You can count on... He didn't have to say amen. He could have said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. But he started from the cross. He started with those words that he used many, many times when he's telling people, this is absolutely the truth. What I'm about to tell you, you can count on it. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Now in this very day. They heard, they heard the rest of the conversations that Jesus had because Jesus died before them, did he not? He died. He, he said, Father, into your hands, and he said that with this enormous, booming voice. He didn't die with a whisper. He died with this great voice, this confidence of committing into the Father's hands, his own spirit, and when he said that, It all came to a close. It was finished. There was darkness from noon to three o'clock. The earth shook. An earthquake took place. And these thieves are watching and hearing all of this. And they come to them later and break their legs with a club. That's really humane, isn't it? It keeps them from pushing up with their feet and getting their next breath so they They die of suffocation. But they hear in everything else that Jesus says. They witness the eclipse. They witness the earthquake. And they witness the guy in charge of the crucifixion having a change of opinion. Even the Roman centurion over the whole matter saw all of this happening around him. And he comes to the conclusion, this man must have really been the son of God. Do you know what's missing in this conversation? Lauren, if you can come to the keyboard. Do you know what's missing? How many believe this guy got saved? I think what Jesus said to him was a pretty good confirming that uh, you're going to be okay when they break your legs and you can't take another breath and and your lungs collapse and your body goes limp. It's not over with. You're going to be with me. What is, what is missing in all of that? This guy gets... And in reality, do you know Barabbas was the first guy saved? Maybe not spiritually, <laughs> but he got saved. He got saved from crucifixion. If there's anybody in that group that should have gotten saved, afterwards it should have been Barabbas. But the thief on the cross was the first person Jesus took with him into heaven. And he said, I'm, don't worry about it. What's missing is this, the sinner's prayer. He didn't do what we tell people to do, right? Did he repent of his sins? Do you think he repented of his sins? Is there any evidence in what he said that he repented of his sins? What do you think? Whoever confesses their sins, what what does the word confess mean? You know, we, we seem to think that repentance is telling the Lord we're sorry. That's not repentance. It's not an apology. Repentance is knowing you're going in the wrong direction and you're turning around. Some people want Jesus just to make sure they have a life insurance policy after death. Or maybe it's a fire policy that they think he is going to keep them from getting their hides scorched in hell. But they're not interested in living for him, they're not interested in doing anything else. Here's a man whose hands and feet were fastened to a cross and he couldn't do anything, he couldn't even get baptized. So much for those people who believe that you have to be water baptized in order to really go to heaven. It's preferable. But he didn't have anything, any opportunity to do anything with his hands. They were fastened to a beam of wood, or he couldn't take his body anywhere to go back and you know, do any kind of restoration. There he hung in absolute, total need of forgiveness. And what he does, he owns his life. He owns his deeds. He declares to his other friend being killed, we're getting what we deserve. Don't you fear God? Something's changed. He's believing. There's no prayer of salvation, but there's Jesus that sees faith. And see, if some of you are here today and you feel like you've got to do certain things, the one thing you have to do is believe. Believe here until it gets here. Some people like Lee Strobel has to believe here before it gets here. In fact, Josh McDowell said mentally he knew after his research that the death and resurrection of Jesus was true, but he says in here I didn't want to believe it. In here, I said, it must be true. In here, he said, I didn't want to say that. And a few days later, he realized that something had changed in his life. He said, what's going on with me? And all that the Lord was waiting to hear from him is that it must be true. Like the thief on the cross, it must be true. And God says to him, you're in. You'll be with me. You're not going to die alone. We're going to be joined up this day. You're going to accompany me to paradise. Would you stand with me?